My first rifle was a 243. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me. And they taught me how to shoot with a steady hand. I guess that's something you don't understand. Welcome to another episode of All American Wing Shooting. Today we get to talk about my absolute favorite topic with one of my favorite people. Clark Kennington, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me on. Okay, so this wasn't a sponsored episode, but we might as well throw it out there considering that both of us are rocking our banded gear. So thank you, Banded, for always taking care of us while we're on the road, hunting, training, whatever we're doing with our dogs. Banded's always got our back. Absolutely. You've been wearing banded longer than me, but you're from the South. So, you know, it's like a, uh, it's a, it's a cool kids club. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it is like, I go to town and I told Chad, I was like, cause Tater was obsessed with banded before we even knew him, you know, but you go to town and you can see somebody with banded everywhere you go. And we went to yuppie town, which is kind of far for us, but it's our big town over the weekend just to have lunch with my great aunt and we go into this prep store this men's prep store with my dad and there's a german shepherd behind the counter with his mallard avery decoy like this german shepherd walking around with his decoy and i'm like you can't go anywhere without finding these brands it's crazy nope they're everywhere yeah okay so next topic Let's talk about how a dog trainer is on their own time schedule. <laughs> I knew that was going to work. I know, contrary to belief, some dog trainers work. I know, but it it's a true um, it's a true characteristic of dog trainers. They are on their own timeline. Yeah, I would agree. We work daylight till dark, and we're not going to stop until we get done. No, no, we just have miscommunication about time zone, but it is funny because that used to be my life. And it's like, you never know where your phone is. You turn phone calls and text messages a week late. And like, it just, you have to be present. That is a career where you can't do anything. You can't multitask that. No, it, it's everything so crucial about timing when you're running dogs. And the last thing you need is your phone in your hand while you're trying to run a dog. So, yeah, that's that's a common issue is people trying to get a hold of us. And sometimes it's hard to get a hold of us. But I promise you, I look at my phone at the end of every day. I promise. At the end of every day. Well, that that's a good promise. Yeah. I mean, I do keep up. <laughs> well I, I know like for a while was like i kept up with you and then you um were getting to the time to launch your new project here and then i lost in touch with you but i got sick i just i didn't care if the world crashed around me i just couldn't get off the couch for like a month and we've been so busy i mean we've got the launch of the hunt test guide uh we've got the hrc green coming up in a month um We've been running hunt tests nonstop. We just ran back-to-back SRS. That was our first two SRSs of the year. So it's just nonstop grind. Uh, you know, since February 1st, we've worked seven days a week. I mean, and we'll be doing that all the way through until November. That's just part of this lifestyle. 
I know it's so addicting. Did you say you had 60 dogs down there? I think we've got a little over 60 down here between three of us trainers. So it's keeping us busy for sure. Oh, I love that life. Like it is literally the best one because you have all these talented dogs with you because everybody like made the cut. You have to make the cut to be on your trailer. And so <clears throat> you just get to spend all day long with them and you don't have to worry about the world. Like when COVID hit and I was running dogs then, it was like the best time of my life because our bird dog world didn't stop for COVID. I mean, we were, it was crazy because we're still doing like buffet dinners and everybody's camped out together and all that stuff. Like <laughs> we were in the middle of nowhere, you know, still running dogs. And literally it was like the world was shutting down all around us and we were just in our little bubble. See, unfortunately, the retriever world did shut down a good bit. A lot of tests got canceled. Uh, the Master National got canceled that year. So that was a big deal. Um, a lot of tests got canceled. It's really hard to find help. So a lot of the tests that we went to, we had to bring people with us to actually work the test. So it did hurt us pretty badly. Um, thank God that's over with. Things are getting back to normal. Uh, but it was a kind of a struggle there for a little while. Well, I think that that break in my past career of hosting shooting clinics and doing the ladies hunts and all that, that's what stopped for me and sucked me back into tournament world because that was the only thing going on. And that was on my bucket list to run BDC and it fell in my lap. So <clears throat> I was talking to Jacob and Whitney with full plume this morning. Do you, do you know about that brand? I don't think I do. So they have an online store where they sell antique, well, like waterfowl collectibles. <clears throat> Anything from decoys, art, calls. calls. Yeah, I mean, like Old the canvas crazy, clothing. Yeah, like cool, cool stuff. And they're young, like they're so young. <clears throat> I know that they, like, they're just so smart. And the way that they run their brand is so professional. And then they came up on the screen and I was like, holy smokes, I could be their mom. Like, it was the first time where I realized, like, this, I'm old. <laughs> when I'm, when I'm chatting with kids um, that are, as established as they are. It was awesome. But they were, um, I think I just forgot why I was telling you that. I'm just still so impressed with them, but I'll remember in a little while. They they just did, they just really impressed me. So you're going to want to check them out. I'll check them out. At Full Plume. Full Plume. <clears throat> yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about the SRS. I just met Shannon. Mm -hmm. And I found out about her because, you know, running the hunt, the, like the hunting tournaments that I was doing, we're not really as familiar. I just got lucky that I was at a retriever kennel that ran test in the off season. And so that wasn't their main thing. So that's how I got introduced to, to your world. And then I've listened to her podcast on the foul life. And I was like, she's got to be the coolest chick in the retriever world. She's done a lot. Um, you know, the SRS, for the people that don't know, that's Shannon Nardi. That is her her company. Um, it was her and I think Justin Tackett at the beginning, and then uh, it became just, just Shannon. Um, and she's done an excellent job keeping that thing going. You know, it dipped down for a little while, and it has come back with a vengeance. It's, it's growing. I mean, it seems like there are events every weekend happening somewhere now, and I can remember when I first started, there may be five, six a year, and that was it. And and you, how long have you been doing this? 
I've been training professionally for 17 years. <clears throat> um, probably started the SRS maybe nine years ago, something like that, seven or nine years ago. Uh, I didn't start it until a little later in my career because it's it's very, very, very difficult. And, you know, that's not something for a novice trainer to jump in and try to run in the open division uh, because you're competing against the best of the best. Now, it will elevate your game. It will change your outlook on things. I mean, you will be humbled greatly. Uh, but if you have the right mindset, when you go into it and, and, and use it as motivational things and a, as a tool to make you better, it's an excellent venue. Um, but you have to keep in mind when you go into it, especially your first time, that uh, it's a learning curve. And it's a big learning curve. I think I ran for two or three years before I ever made the finals of an SRS. Um, if that gives you any perspective of how difficult it is. And I had some really good dogs, but I didn't have good enough dogs and I didn't have enough knowledge to do it. Um, right. So it, it's a pretty cool venue and Shannon keeps that thing going and make sure that we all stay in line and that, that we're all where we need to be. The crown is one of the most extravagant events that, that anybody could ever run. And that's our baby. And she does an excellent job with it. Okay, so let's talk about these games. I have, <clears throat> I think mine, like, and it's not by purpose because it wasn't the intention of me starting a podcast, but it seems like it comes up in every single one talking about dog games and all of the hunters have so much opportunity to do all kinds of cool things with their dog in the off season, depending on, you know, what their focus is, what their interests are. So typically would a dog that makes the SRS level start out with HRC or AKC, get the fundamentals set and then move up to that level? Yes. Yes. You would want to start at lower level hunt test and you bring up a good point about the hunters. 17 years ago, I had no idea that this world existed. None whatsoever. Um, I had a dog named Max. He was my first dog that got me into this. And uh, I sent him to a pro trainer at the time and he got him through the basics and I was teaching him hand signals, uh, training out by Grenada Lake. That's where I'm originally from, Grenada, Mississippi. And a friend of mine saw me training him, and he stopped by, and he said, hey, I'm going to a hunt test this weekend. I was like, what is that? I have no idea what that is. He's like, man, it's dogs running this hunt test. They get ribbons. I was like, I don't give a crap about ribbons, man. I just want a dog to go get my ducks. He said, that's what it's all about. So I was like, well, I don't have anything else to do, so I'll go. So I went, and I ran started, and – to be honest with you, that may, may be the biggest adrenaline rush I've ever had in my life. I mean, and all this is a dog going to get a bird. I mean, it's, it's not <laughs> hard, but there's a certain feeling of helplessness, knowing that you're not truly in control at the moment this dog can do anything. Um, we passed both days, um, but I remember watching Start. I was like, man, this is fun. He said, well, let's go watch the season dog. So in HRC, you got started, season finished on a normal weekend test. So we go and watch the season dogs and they're running blinds and doubles. And I'm like, man, this is awesome. He said, well, let's go check out the finished dogs. You think this is cool. And we went and watched and I was just like in awe. I mean, I was like, holy crap, dogs can do this. Um, so I said right then, I said, I'm going to have one of those. And I went to work and that was in February of that year. It was my first hunt test. Oh yeah. Got Max's started title that February, got a season title by May. He got his finished title by October of that mm -hmm. year. 
And the next spring, he ran the grand, which the grand is the highest end of the HRC. So to say I dove head first into it would be an understatement. Yeah. I fell in love with it. Right. But I was just a hunter. You know, I was just a guy that enjoyed spending time with his dog. And I wanted to figure out a way that I could still do that during the off season. And there is no better way. And it makes your dog so much better when it comes to hunting season. If you do that, I mean, you, you've been able to hunt with Axel. I mean, oh, you know, he's hunt test stuff story. makes a huge difference. Well, I, uh, the hunt test foundation, like I just never got into on the pointing side on training your dog because I was actually told if I'd finished my dog on the pointing side to the level where they should be, then they wouldn't have been good in our game because they would have been too steady or they would have just taken so much time, blah, blah, blah. Because if you release them after the bird falls, that's time, right? And so I was a rookie, so I just listened to him, whatever. I mean, I guess it depends on the dog and and um, how they go back and forth between their games. But when it comes to the retriever side, I can't tell you how many times I won because the dogs were at a master level. Mm -hmm. And two birds go up. <clears throat> Somebody left a bird in the field before me. I hit a double, they only marked one, they come back and I send them to the next one. And I just cut out like three minutes off the clock just by that right there. Yep. So, um, <clears throat> you know, we're having to get a partial retrieve or whatever. You're right. Like it was such an eye opener for me to be able to handle a dog in a field that just cut out time because I played a time game. Right. Now, Axel belongs to Chad, but I was still in a heartbeat. <clears throat> and I am not like a fan of male dogs usually. And and it takes a lot for me to like fall in love with the dog. But he took such good care of me. The second day of my first trip ever goose hunting, Chad stayed at the at camp with Tater and sent me out with the camera crew by myself with Axel. And I was like, okay, well, I can handle a dog. I have no problem with that. But I have been goose hunting for one day. And here we're on camera. <clears throat> and I I never have issues with guys at camp. Like, never. I mean, everybody's, from the time that I started, when I knew nothing, everybody's been so welcoming. Uh, mentorship just never treated me like a girl, right? So here I come. And Axel's like the most handsome fella ever. Like, I just think he's picture perfect. So I'm like, not only is he a freaking rock star, but he looks the part, everything. And I just felt like a stud going out there. Like, I'm going to smoke it today. Well, the guys in the pit beside us, I don't even think they had a dog. But they were like literally trash talking. And I heard him on the radio, like a single came in and they're like, let the girl have it. I'm like, okay, not only am I going to shoot this dang duck, but I'm going to pick up all of yours the rest of the day, you know? And so we started <laughs> the day like that and, and Axel was doing amazing, like sending him out a hundred yards and all this stuff. And I was like, those boys learned their lesson and it never happens to me. Like I literally never have that happen, but it was so awesome that it happened to me the day that I had him is I'm like, they don't know that he ain't my dog, you know, like right, I'm exactly. just gonna claim him, you know, like <laughs> this is going to be my day to shine. And so <clears throat> if, if I hadn't have been able to run him like that, I don't know if I would have fell in love with the waterfowl season, like I did, but having a dog at that level changes the game. It does. I mean, I, I got it commercially for 12, 13 years 
Uh, I was very blessed growing up to be in the mecca of what Mississippi waterfowl hunting was. Um, we hunted, had a place right next to Mr. Billy Dunamit, who was one of the world's largest cotton brokers. And I mean, he literally farmed for ducks year round. That's what he did. And I thought duck hunting when I grew up was we'd just get up 30 minutes before daylight and we'd go out in the boat to the blind and we'd shoot seven, eight man limit of mallards and be back before 930 because that's what we did pretty much every day. So I was very blessed growing up. Now, I quickly learned when I started guiding for a living, that's not exactly the way things work. Uh, but to me, it got to a point that, yeah, I enjoyed taking people. But it, for me, it was more about working the birds, working the dog. Uh, letting people see dogs that have never, that they've never seen dogs that are at that caliber. Um, you know, I used to always tell people a great dog can make a bad hunt. Great. Just mm -hmm. if they get a couple of outstanding retrieves, oh, yeah. it can make a bad hunt. Great. It now, vice versa, right a, yeah. a bad dog can make a great hunt. Terrible. So it's super important to me. Um, and I used to always have a rule and some people didn't like it was if I was guiding them, the rule was you can take your dog if you want to, but you and your dog were going to pick up all the birds because I have one sitting in the truck that would go pick all of them up. Um, and I, I mean, that just felt like that was the most fair way. I'm not going to go trudge across this rice field 250 yards to go pick up this crippled duck when I've spent years training this dog that's sitting in the crate at the truck that could have gone and got it for me. Um, yeah, and love doing it. And, and enjoy doing it, right, exactly. Yeah. So there was several times they would say, I'm taking my dog. And after about the third trip out there, they'd say, let's bring your dog tomorrow. And we would bring Max or Stroker or Trigger or somebody the next day. So, um, Okay, you brought up Stroker. I want to hear Stroker's whole life story. <clears throat> Stroker. Um, he'll actually be back here in a week or two. Uh, he's retired, though. Or anybody says anything, he is retired. He is done. Uh, he's just coming back to hang out enjoy life he may Sleep pick up some bird. <laughs> just he's gonna enjoy life um i take great pride in stroker um there's not a lot of people that are playing the srs game right now that can say that they built a crown champion from start to finish a lot of the dogs that are running this game started in the field trial game somebody bought them and converted them into it um stroker was born in my living room floor uh, it was a breeding that I, I put together. Um, it was kind of my dream breed. Uh, his mother is a grand hunting retriever champion, master hunter, qualified all age female out of the very first dog I ever ran hunt test with Max. Uh, and we bred her to a dog named Big Black Dude. Uh, for those who don't know who Big Black Dude is, he has the most grand passes ever with 15. He's won the crown twice. He's a master national hall of fame dog. He has four master national passes. And we, we kind of paired this breeding because Dude was more of a laid back, very controllable animal. And Nab was not. Nab was a fire breathing dragon, crazy, crazy maniac. So we wanted to kind of get the balance between the two. Um, Stroker was born in my living room floor. I wasn't even going to keep one out of that litter, but he had two white toes on his back left foot and nobody wanted him. So I was like, well, I guess you're mine, buddy. So I <laughs> kept him. Um, Stroker was my dog to begin with. He was a HRCH master hunter at like 18 months old. And at the time I was faced with a decision, look, I need to grow my business. I need to buy another dog truck, hire somebody else. 
I think I'm going to sell Stroker, but it has to be the right person and they have to have it. They have to sign a contract and Lord bless me. Doug Weiss came into my life. Um, and he actually had a grand champion master hunter that had just passed away of a flip stomach and he was looking for another dog. So I met him in Conway, Arkansas, so he could see Stroker. Um, and it was kind of one of those things that was just meant to be. It was a God sent meant to be thing. Um, and he was asking the story about Stroker. And I told him, look, nobody wanted him because he had two white toes. And you could see a tear run down his eye. The dog he had just lost had two white toes on his back left foot. No way. So, like, the chances of that <laughs> happening are so astronomically small. It was just meant to be. Um, and Doug has trusted me with his career ever since the day he bought him. Uh, we, you know, he's he's mine and his dog's and his dog. That's the way we look at it. Uh, Doug's about to have, to have back surgery, um, so I'm getting Stroker until he can handle him again. Um, but Stroker was born in my living room floor. Uh, he's never spent any other time as far as running and training with anyone but me. Um, you know, he was a grand champion, master hunter at a young age. The first crown he ever ran, he was four years old. And honestly, he would have won it. I cost him the crown championship at four years old. I made a handler's mistake in the second series that cost him 30 points. And we lost by like, I think, five or 10. Oh, he would have been the youngest ever <laughs> open crown champion winner. Um, so I had to live with that. And then the next year, he got second again. But he got second again the next year to a dog that I was running. I won my first crown. Oh, God. And that ate at me even more because this dog, I didn't build from the ground up the one that I won the first crown with. A lady named Tammy Bell owned him. His name was Roscoe. And she came to me and said, look, I'm struggling with Roscoe and SRS stuff. I want you to take him and ride him in SRS. So I got Roscoe, got him qualified for the crown. Um had a little while to figure out what Roscoe needed. Like I gave him the tools, but he would get to the finals of an SRS, but he just never would close it. Like he would beat everybody's tail for two series and then he would just crash. So um, Roscoe was kind of a, a, a hitchhiker. You know, he was a dog that I was blessed to be able to run and he ended up beating Stroker. So again, I was kicking myself in that tail because I was like, I'm happy that I won with Roscoe, but I feel like I call Stroker another crown. Like, I'll never, again, I'll never get over that either. Cause that happened to me too with Littles and it just, it, it broke my heart. For forever. I know, I know. And <laughs> the next year he got seventh. That's he, he missed the finals by one placement. Um, and then the following year, I think we got sixth. So his worst placement at the time was seventh. And I knew it was coming down to then. I, you know, I knew that the year he won, this was it. It was now or never. And that's like the biggest weight in the world on your shoulders, knowing that you cost him the first one. Mm -hmm. And the second one, you brought in a dog that beat him, that he would have won. Um, so I felt like if it didn't happen now, I was going to have to live with that forever. And thank God. He was absolutely on fire that week, and he ended up winning the crown in 2021. Um, so that was like the weight of the world lifted off my shoulder. My, my wife actually has a video of when they announced that he won because, you know, I thought he did, but I wasn't 100% sure. And I, it's like I almost fallen because it was 
that meant more to me than the first one because that dog was literally built from the ground up in my hands. Um, and you know, that, that to me, that, that means a lot to me. Um, and I think the only other person that's done that, that's still running is Steven. Um, Steven's had two that have won it that he's built from the ground up. And that's, that's a big, big, big accomplishment. Well, yeah, because he has so many titles just to get to the SRS. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He was a, he was a very good Well, we got to meet him and when we came and dropped um, Axel down to you guys was just, it wasn't just a few months after that happened. It was at the Mm -hmm. end of season that spring. And, uh, so tater you let Taterbug run him and i was just i'm like oh my god like she one day when she realizes what she got to do because she's eat up with the that world and we were in it and then like just seasons of life change i mean you know how it is and the and the kids get older and jc switched schools and all this stuff and i just i was like okay so um she had, she was kind of rusty when we came down there because she was used to running dogs every single day. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't care how rusty you are. You don't pass up this opportunity, kiddo. <laughs> and like, she was like, well, I don't even have a whistle. I'm like, he's going to have an extra whistle. Just go get a whistle. He's got one on his trailer. And so I love, I love that we have a video with her, with him right after he took his title. That's just, it's so special. And so she's jumping right back in it. Like, it is, it is a special world. It's a special group of people and the memories like literally last a lifetime. They do. They do. I mean, I can still remember grands when I first started running, like every bird, what the series looked like. You know, a lot of the times I can remember exactly what the dogs did. Um, you know, people think that's crazy. Some of those things are 13, 14 years ago, but I can still <laughs> remember it. Um, it's funny, like I'll go through areas that I may have run a test 10, 12 years ago, and it's like a mental flashback. I'm like, hey, I, I ran a test here at some point in time. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a great, great way to make a living. I mean, it's great people. Um, the you know, family aspect of it, like people just don't know. I was I was on the, I had a podcast with Todd Kellum with the UKC, which everybody knows him. And he is like the godfather of dog games. And across all different kinds of breeds, you know, and I just cannot imagine my oldest daughter was a rock star horse show girl in the Western world. I mean, like number one in the nation at 14 years old, 18 and under, we traveled everywhere with the horses, but I never loved that. And and it was so demanding, but I never loved it. Like I do traveling with the dogs. I cannot wait to get little spinach so that we can get back on this with Hallie Joe. Like I am, I get uh, excited just sitting on the sidelines. Like I want to participate and I never cared for showing, you know, I don't know. There's just something so special about it. It's just hard to put into words until you experience it. Yeah. And being a pro, you know, we've got, I've got a small group of people that, that I really, as far as the other pros within the retriever training world that, that I'm really close with. And we get to train together, not very often because we've got so many dogs. So, you know, getting together and training together is almost impossible. You know, I've got a truck full. I've got a 24 hole trailer slap full. That's a full day worth of training to do it right. If you're going to do it correctly. Right. Um, 
really the times we get to get together and train together are before the big national events, the grand or the master national. Uh, but even then, I mean, the grand, if anybody's ever trained with me, it is a daylight till dark grind the week before the grand. Like I'm not going to leave any stone unturned of anything I could have shown them or worked on for them to be successful, but it's fun doing it with other people that you don't see very often. I mean, yes, we work really hard, but we have a great time while we do it. So it is a long day, but it, it's, it's fun in the same aspect. Uh, now when the grand's over, I'll be first one to tell you, I am physically and mentally drained. I mean, completely exhausted. Um, so I, I crash for a day or two and that thing's over. It, it just wears me out. But, but it is cool to have that small niche group. You know, there's a couple of us that have a group text that, that we talk every now and then through about stuff that's going on in the retrieval world or things we're working on. Um, but, it, I mean, it's a great way to make a living. I can't say that too many times. I, I've been very blessed. Well, when I was working with the retriever kennel in, in Wisconsin, <clears throat> there was like four of us that all lived together through the summer. And it's literally like I told them all the time. I was like, thank you guys so much for letting me join the frat house because, you know, we all had our, we all had like our little system and, um, you know, some of us would start with a force fetch and then, you know, depending on how long we'd been involved, depending on where we were within the, the line of getting to touch the dog. And it was the coolest atmosphere to learn because it was all about mentorship it was all about learning as you go because every single dog is different and you get your guidelines, but then it was always like, well, what happens when this happens? But you don't even know what to ask about until it actually happens. Right. Right. I've actually got an apprentice here with me right now. Um, he was an accountant. <laughs> he left a very <laughs> good job because his passion is training dogs. Uh, him and his wife are moving to Missouri to come learn how to train dogs. He's been down here on this winter trip. And you said frat house. This is kind of like what this is, where we are right now. Yeah. We've, got, we've got three trainers. We've got three bird boys. Uh, I mean, it, it's like a freaking frat house. Uh, but Preston, and I was homeschooling Tater. Like I was homeschooling Hallie Joe within all of the chaos of all Lewis the dogs. Lewis is homeschooling his son right now. Our young yes. dog trainer. It is so much fun. It, it's it's a lot of work too but you what you just said about preston uh about asking questions as they come up i can't tell you how many times he'll ride up on a foil after throwing a bird and i can always see it on his face like uh oh here comes a question be like, okay i gotta ask you why did you do this this way? so today one of the things that i didn't realize he noticed he's a hundred yards out there in the field throwing a bird and we run half the dogs in the truck he said all right i gotta ask you a question why, why don't you have the e-collar on the dogs until you get to the line? I was like, you can see that from way out there. It's like, yeah. So I had to go stop and go through that whole spill, but that's what he's here for. You okay, know, he, so tell he, me why, because my guess would be that the dogs get collar wise and then they want to act unruly when the collar's off. So if you wait until you get it there, then you don't have to worry about training to walk to the line. Well, I wanted to change the routine some. And no. you're right in some aspect. So I'm starting pre-grand prep right now. Mm -hmm. So you go to run the HRC grand. There is very minute room for any mistakes. And that's from everything from the time you come out of the holding blind to the time you leave the test. 
I mean, you need to have very much control over these dogs. So what okay, I'm doing for a second, because there are probably people that have no idea what we're talking about, but I want them to get educated. So when you're at the grand, there's holding blinds. How many would they, will you have like three or four? At least sometimes there may be five or six that you have to wait through to so before that's you waiting. So they'll have like a, what is it, like a three foot, like tent blind. Yeah, it'll be about three to four foot tall. Yeah, and they'll make it either like a triangle or like a half square that you put your dogs in where they can't see the tests going on out there in front of them. But so what's the crazy is the dogs know there's birds out there. So if you have a dog oh, that's yeah. not behaving, they want to jump up and look and the guns are going off and all this stuff. And so if you go to a lower level, then you might get a dog that's like peeking around the corner and all this stuff and it's all bad behavior. Down. Uh, <clears throat> we put our dogs in holding blinds every day. We do holding blind drills every single day. So our dogs knock on wood for the most part are very good in the holding blind uh so what i was doing with this e not having an e-collar on them is i just put my lead on them just like i do every day at a test mm -hmm. i don't very often training put a lead on the dog take them in the holding blind and then come out to run the series whatever we're doing um so i feel like that i when i don't do that a whole lot when i go to a hunt test that lead is almost like a trigger to them hey this is something different because dogs are creatures of habit so when I start preparing for the grand, I start putting the lead on them. We go in the holding blind, just like we're going to be at the test. Um, I'll say, this is dog, whatever, dog 110, this is Harper. <clears throat> and I'll step out of the holding blind, and they typically let, make us come out of the holding blind, take the lead off, put it in our pocket, and then start going to the line. So I'll step out, and I'll have a healing stick in my back pocket. And when I take that lead out, a lot of the times the dogs will get real antsy and go, well, it's just a way to get a correction on them to get them more focused on me rather than being so amped up about the, the test or whatever we're about to run. Um, now, as soon as I get up to the chair or the gun, I put the collar on. But I'm just working on control from that holding blind to the line. Because at the HRC Grand, if that dog gets out in front of you going to the, the line, they could drop you instantaneously right there on that spot if they want to. Well, thank you for your $400 donation. We'll see you again in six months. <laughs> yeah, uh, and all the time that you just put in to get right. there. So, or <laughs> they may drop you, but they may ding you a point, and that's the only point you can lose over the next four days. Um, so that's what I was working on. Um, and I couldn't, I didn't, I was like, how in the hell can you even see that? You're 100, 100 yards out there behind a tree. Yeah. How do you see that? Uh, but it's good that he's seeing that kind of stuff. I think Preston's going to be an excellent trainer because he does really pay attention to everything that's going on. And he asks a lot of questions. And the only way you're going to get better at this game is you have to be observant and you have to ask, answer, ask questions because, and this is a lot of the reason we're going to get to this in a second about what we started with the hunt test guy. Mm -hmm. Anybody can tell you what to do and when to do it, yeah. but it's very crucial that you understand the why. The why is what makes you a good dog trainer. It's not just knowing that, okay, the dog did this. This is how I respond to it. You don't need to know why you respond to, to it that way and what it creates and what it changes in the dog. Um, and Preston's learning that very quickly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the whole thing of learning is, is, is a crucial part. And it's got to be hands-on training. Like, it's just, it, it, it's just too many variables within it. <clears throat> so and visual you need to see it yeah so you mentioned your new program which is why we've waited this long to do this podcast because i am so excited about this i am a 
just a firm believer in the online courses because you just are able to reach so many people and it gives people the opportunity to get a foundation. So when they do are able to take the time to come to your clinic in person, it, that that recap of what they've already consumed is going to last and stick with them so much better than if they are in person trying to control their dog, trying to take in this information all at once. It's just too hard. It is. So yeah. I think it's incredible that you put this on paper pretty much and then handed it out to people with examples. So tell us all about the hunt test guide. So the hunt test guide has been an idea of mine for years. Um, and it's taken a long time to finally make it happen. Um, there's a lot of legwork that goes into these kind of things before they ever take place. Um, so what the hunt test guide is designed to do is to help people be more successful at hunt test. There is a lot of programs out there that can teach you how to do obedience, how to do collar conditioning, how to do force fetch, and take you through the basics of a dog. But what there isn't out there is a program that's going to guide you to what do you need to do to be more successful at hunt test? How do you need to train to be more successful? What is your mindset you need to have to be more successful? You know, what are the day in day out things that you need to create habits of not only for the dog, but also for yourself to be successful at this. Mm -hmm. So what we decided to do on this, cause we, we went back and forth. I partnered with Cornerstone gun dog Academy doing this. Um, and that was another thing that, that I went back and forth on a lot. Um, but here's the thing. I'm a dog trainer. I don't know the first daggum thing about video and I don't know the first thing good on social media. It is like, you're I, so I, successful. <laughs> I train dogs. Yeah. That's and you I train do. dogs. That's it. So, and I'm good at that. I know what I'm I good know. at. I know what I'm not good at. And, and I know what they're amazing at. They, they are, they are one of the best out there when it comes to producing, editing and doing those type things. Um, so I reached out. Content is beautiful. Oh, like it's, it's not amazing. just valuable, but it's beautiful. It's so well put together. Um, so I reached out to Barton. Barton's been a friend of mine for a long time. And uh, we started discussing this idea. I was like, look, man, we need to partner me, you and Lyle. You guys handle this part. We'll be the knowledge. But look, we don't we don't know anything about that. So we could either partner with you and be way ahead on that scale. Or we're going to take 20 years to get to the point you guys are now. Mm -hmm. So let's partner together. Um and we're going to address that cornerstone thing right now because there's a lot of people in the hunt test world that that don't like what cornerstone's done okay but what they miss is cornerstone is not designed for the guy that wants to go run a master test next week or be successful at the master national or the grand that's right. not what it's meant to be guys what cornerstone was designed for and it's excellent for is the average person that doesn't know the first thing about a dog Mm -hmm. And it's a way to help them build a dog that can be a nice hunting dog. All right. right. They don't use an e-collar. And this, and this makes perfect sense to me. They don't use an e-collar, not because they're not advocates of it. It's because of what their market base is, which is the average person that has never run a dog before. The e-collar can be a great tool, but it can be the worst enemy in a novice's hands. Mm -hmm. So, Kudos to them for having that mindset of saying, look, we're going to teach them how to train it without it because the, the novice person doesn't need it in their hands if they're not taught how to use it correctly. 
And that's what that program is. So we partnered with them. Um, We've got two two phases of of what the Hunt Test Guide is. What we have out right now is the subscription or what we call the Hunt Test Guide team. And what that does is Lyle and I give two to three videos a week of setups that we're running. And we go through the description of why each bird is placed where it is, what we're looking to get out of each bird, what problems there may be arise on the birds, and then we video a dog or two running it. And they don't always do it right. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, that's where want that's what they want to see. Yeah. We want you to visualize when something goes wrong, how we handle it. Right. We haven't had this happen yet, but at some point, something is the dog's going to do something wrong and they're not going to respond to it the way we think they should. Right. <laughs> and you're going to be able to see how do we handle that. Um, so what it does is it gives you two to three videos a week access to that. But the thing it also gives you, the visual part is huge for people to be able to see it and understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. Mm-hmm. But the other part that nobody else has offered on any of these programs is one hour a month, myself does one and Lyle does one. So there's two of them. We do a live Q&A Zoom call with all the members. So they have access to us for one hour completely. Any questions? And we, we go through any issues they're having. And it may not be questions. It may be, hey, I want to see this next month. Right. So I'll write down, hey, I want to work on this uh, for, for John that wanted to see that. That's awesome um, being a community like that. Because not only are people getting to know you, but they're getting to know each other. Right. And that's the goal is to build a community within it. Uh, now, we are working on shooting courses that will be available. Um, and the courses, we're going to start at a different point than a lot of people, because just like I said, everybody out there's done the basics. You can get that anywhere. And there are a lot of really good places that you can get that from. But where we're going to start is at pattern blinds, because to me, doing pattern blinds correctly and how teaching dogs correctly how to run a blind before you ever ask them to run a cold blind is super crucial. And putting those tools in them early can be the difference between success and failure in the hunt test game. Yeah. So there's not a lot of things out there that truly cover that in depth. Like how do I teach pattern blinds? How do I teach dogs to cast out of suction in pattern blinds? How do I teach a dog how to run a blind in conjunction with a mark before I ever go in the field and in the actual field and ask them to do a cold blind? How do I do all that? And then how do I transition it once I have taught them into the field in a way that it's fair, number one, and two, they can be successful. So that's the biggest thing people skip out on is they skip these steps and they go to the field and they ask these dogs to do things that they're not truly prepared to do. So one, they're not going to be successful. And two, you're not being fair to them for asking them to do it that way. So we're going to start there and we're going to do courses all the way through how to make a grand hunting retriever champion or a master hunter. Um, we've already we've already in talks about doing a course about how to properly prepare for the HRC grand, which we'll probably do next year. Um, and it'll be, they're going to film me for a month, month and a half. Everything I do preparing for the HRC grand, what is the philosophy change in training? Because it is very different than everything else I do. Why does the bird placement change? How do you handle the dog differently? How do you handle preparation differently? We're going to go through all of that. How do we change our mindset going into that as a handler versus what we've been doing in master test or regular HRC test? I love, Uh, and you know this because we've talked about this in the past. I love that you are focusing on 
preparing the mental state of the handler because that's my jam come like my background with with shooting and competition is everything is mental management everything mm -hmm. and just like <clears throat> you costed stroker his title which would have been an all-time like history making thing it was possibly a mental management error it was it was a, it was a, it was an error on my part mentally but a lot of it was just lack of experience i had yeah. not I mean, you were, yeah. often and one of the things in our promo video that is said in it failure can be the most powerful learning tool you'll ever have if you if know you how you to know do how to, failure right okay so did you finish that book no i have not mine? oh my gosh okay well you have to finish it so my biggest thing I always preach to people is you're going to get one or two things in a weekend hunt test. And if you get neither one of those, you wasted your time and money. You're either going to get a ribbon or you're going to learn a lesson. Right. If you didn't get either one of those, you wasted your time and your money. You, it was all a waste. So everybody's going to fail at some point. I don't care how good you are, how long you've done it. You're going to fail at some point. You're going to, this dog's going to fail for this, or this dog's going to fail for that. They're dogs. But you have to learn from each one of those. Like, why did this dog fail? Mm -hmm. Was it just not that dog's day? Or was it something that I could have done differently to prepare it to where it wouldn't have been in that situation? Um, okay, so I want to share this with you. You can steal this line. So my coach, when I like feel like the world is crashing and I'm like, holy crap, how am I ever going to turn this around? He says, is the world happening to you or for you? Right. Like he asked me questions when he already knows the answer. And it's like, if I answer it wrong, then it's bad. But I, you know, like I've told you, I still talk to my, my coach every day. Um, we are like very good friends, but mental management wise, I get instruction every day and it comes in the form of question that has a right answer, but I have to come up with it on my own. And right. that's kind of like what you've done. In the dog training world, which has been pretty common in the shooting world, which is that book that I shared with you with winning in mind. And that was why I was because I loved the fact that you took something that I get so geeked out upon and then you took it into my favorite aspect of the world. So I'm never going to get to be the hunt test queen and all this stuff that I dream about being because it's just not the cards that have been dealt me this this lifetime. But I will always be a huge fan of the way that you coach people not just the way that you train dogs and not just your success and your career, but the method of how you got there because you make people better. And that's it, what we should all do. Yeah. In my opinion. yeah. But that the life lessons, like literally those principles bleed into every aspect of your life. And that's what shooting did for me. Most of the time dog trainers make great dogs, but it's just so cool that we connected on that level. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I am so excited about this program, what it's going to do for people, how it's going to make people think differently. It's like an abstract approach to training and to handling because, you know, me coming from the tournament world, it was like, okay, well, I had all this shooting experience and I could teach people to shoot, but I got so involved with the dog training aspect because I had to have a good dog to win and I had to handle a dog great to win but I couldn't have done it without some shooting skills and in the real world 
We have shooting instructors and we have incredible dog trainers. But what happens when these people that aren't experts in either world get their dog back? How do they figure out how to stay focused on their shooting and not lose their mental game, but yet know that their dog is not falling apart and is always in a safe position while they're shooting. So, you know, it was like, okay, well, I've seen both sides of it. I've got all these great titles in the dog world. And then I've got these titles in the shooting world, but my gosh, like what about people that don't have the foundations that I have or have the confidence that I have and what you're doing is helping people so much and they don't even know it yet, but it's going to be huge. Well, I mean, I looked at it when we did this, uh, I was very blessed to have been around a lot of really good people in my life as far as training. Um, the person I started with has made a lot of Master National Hall of Fame dogs and grand champions. I learned a lot from him, uh, and I've been a lot of different places. You know, I had my own business for a long time, and I learned a lot through trial and error there. Um, I spent three years at Mossy Pond, learned a lot from those guys, great people there. Um, and now I'm with Lyle. Lyle's won seven crown championships. So I I've been very blessed to have a mixture of knowledge from mm -hmm. a lot of different trainers uh, and a lot of different ways of going about things. Um, so I may treat this dog this way and the other one a completely different way because this dog responds to this method better than the other method. Um, so that's been very helpful for me to do what I've done in my career. Um, but the biggest thing with the hunt test guide was exactly what you're talking about when you were saying people ask questions. So Preston, a lot of the times when he asked me a question, I'll answer him with the question because I want him to engage his mind and start processing, okay, why did this dog do what it's doing? Mm -hmm. And why do we, how do, why do we respond to it this way? And what were we looking to get out of? Oh, because and that's that, such a huge confidence builder and self image builder when our students can answer their own question. Yes, absolutely. Because then they've engaged their mind and they're starting to think about everything that they're doing and why they're doing it and how each little building block we've done along this doll's career has got them to this point to where we should expect these type responses out of them when we do certain things. So, I mean, I'm so looking forward to this going forward. Uh, it was pretty cool at Ravensway HRC the other weekend. The course hadn't even been out a month yet. And this guy came up to me and said, he recognized my voice. He didn't even know my face. And he said, you're Clark. I was like, yeah. He's <laughs> like, I'm a member of the Hunt Test Guide. Thank you so much for what you oh, showed us today. Wow. Help me pass season. Had I not done it, I would not have passed today. And that, to me, I was very I was very fortunate there. I went 20 for 20 and finished that weekend. But I could have went one for 20, and that would have meant more to me than anything. Was that guy coming up to me and telling me that this helped him? And I'm, I really hope that as this goes along, that a year or two down the road, I'm shaking the hands of people coming off the up, out of the upland at the Grand, and they put a Grand title on their dog based off this information we're giving him. Um, there's some people that don't like that we're doing this. They feel like we're, that I'm giving away knowledge that is threatening to people's career within the hunt test game. Oh, my but, gosh. This is so hard. The people... The people guard knowledge like Fort Knox. No, but here's the deal. The people that are going to take your knowledge and actually apply it are like to the end. I don't even know what the percentage of, of people actually 
finishing the courses or whatever. It's like such a small thing. But the fact is, is that you inspired people to commit to the dog world. There's going to be how many people that are going to say, holy smokes, I love this. They bought, they bought your program. Because this is my thing. This is my big thing is that I'm such a, pro, um, a proponent of you guys, of people that don't understand the value of a pro. Like it's so valuable. People don't want to send their dog off for six months. That's the best six months of that dog's life because it sees birds and bumpers every single day. They are not going to miss you. You know, like they're going to know you and love you when you come back. But those dogs, it's like sending your teenager to camp and they don't want to come home, you know? And so I, I mean, I think if anything, what you guys have put out there is going to build and inspire the community to number one, appreciate and see a glimpse of what you guys actually do when dogs are away, because if they don't have this opportunity to see it, people are just going to think like, what do you do? Just let my dog sit in the kennel all day or whatever. I mean, you, you know, like they do come back with skills, but they don't understand the time that it actually takes to make it happen. Is- the people that do send their dog off wherever it goes, they can use this program to understand what their dog's been through, yeah. and how to properly use it and apply it. Right. Um, so it, it's an excellent tool as far as that's concerned. Uh, and my answer to a lot, some of the people that are concerned about the knowledge that we're giving out in this is you can give everybody all the knowledge in the world. Mm-hmm. They have to apply it themselves. They have to go yeah. out there and they have to do it. And it is a time-consuming thing to be successful. It's a confidence thing, too. And it is a confidence thing. Um, whoever said that, you know, uh, how do they say that? The harder I work, the luckier I get. <laughs> yeah. you know, that is the truth. I mean, and it's the same thing within the dog world, you know. Um, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't put in the work, you're never going to be successful. Oh, right. And so here I've talked about this all the time. And like I told you, I'm like, I don't know why people think that I'm a dog trainer. Like I'm a shooter. I just happened to get to dabble and be like a complete amateur in the dog world. And I got to hang out with some really cool dog trainers, which may have elevated my image. But Littles, like I told you, I've done all of her upland. I'm super proud of her, but she is beyond my pay grade. And she's about to make me nuts because she doesn't want to be home. She wants to be working. And I want her to be steady. I want Tater to get to run her and test. And I'm not set up for that. I have the best backyard for you to come here and do a clinic, but I don't have that knowledge. And I'm not screwing up my dog that is that I've won national titles with both parents and her grandmother. The reason I have her is because of her genetics, not because she's cute. And right. And I can't wait to see where this dog takes us. And I feel so guilty that she's two and a half and I haven't done this because I've been selfish because she's my buddy. You know, she takes Tater to school every day. I mean, she like rides in the back seat. I break every rule for this dog. And she is the one that made me the happy hypocrite. And I gave away the short hair stomp title. And so it's like, I, I tell everybody all the time, And we, I don't know if we've talked about this, but when people are like, they message me like, oh, I'm looking for a puppy. I'm like, you're not looking for a puppy. You're looking for a trainer that produces the dog that you want to own. Go find that person and then let them match you up with a litter. And you start from there and you may have to wait a whole nother year before you get a dog 
but it is going to be so worth it when you have the dog with the right person with the right genetics that can maximize the potential of everything you ever wanted. Mm -hmm. and, and the other part of that is getting with a, with a pro that is going to be honest with you about things. Mm -hmm. So you may watch a dog run and this is just fire breathing dragon maniac. And you love the style of this dog. <laughs> yeah. You go, okay, I want a dog that I'm going to hunt 30 days of the year. That's going to be my buddy at the house. And play with All the right, kids. That's not the dog you really need. That may be what you want, but that's not what you need. Right. Uh, because it's two totally different things. I mean, that fire-breathing dragon maniac, if you bring him home and he has to sit in your house for three or four months doing nothing, he's going to drive you nuts. Yeah. So you need something that's more more laid back. Um, and there's a wide variety of dogs in that range. You know, I always like to try to breed for like what we bred Stroker for. I wanted something in between. Nav was, whoo, she was crazy and the dude was this laid back cool cat so i wanted something in between there and that's what i got with stroke uh, there were times you would see his mama come out in him there's times you'd see his daddy come out in him. but he was kind of in between there um and well, to me you've been, that around, you've been around um axel and he has an amazing switch in the house i'll never forget that <clears throat> another trip we were on we were packing up and it was a two-story house and we had the whole crew like you know another frat house and me and tater and we had the basement door open we were loading the trailer <clears throat> so we sat him there just so that we would know exactly where he was and he'd stay out of the way you know so we placed him and then we ended up moving we walked around the house and started unpack or packing up the upstairs 20 minutes rolls by and i'm like holy smokes we forgot axel god only knows where he is running around you know so i'm like booking it down the right. stairs he just turns his head around, never even moves. And he was like, did y'all forget me? You know, like he's still sitting there right in front of an open door that mm -hmm. he could have just shot out and we're all running around upstairs. And he was just still there. Like, so, they'll come back for me. You know, Axel's <laughs> temperament is a lot like strokers. You know, it turns on when it needs to turn on, especially mm -hmm. when you're hunting. But when he's not in that environment, he's just this cool collective dog. Oh, he's uh, so awesome. Have don't, house. don't have that. You know, so well, little does. <clears throat> so what Littles is lacking is the titles. Like I have to prove her. And so the way that you got Stroker, your perfect ideal litter, Axel and Littles is going to be my perfect litter. So I'm going to let Tater do, you know, maybe her um, starter and then um, the what's the next one? And the eight. Yeah, the season because we haven't ran HRC. We've we came from AKC, but we're going to HRC because we want to be with all our hunting people, um, yep. and they're all over people. there. Yeah, they're all over there. And so, get at least get that one because I don't. You know, I'm all about the titles, and I think it's so cool to prove your dog. And I respect proving genetics and containing those lines and stuff. But at the same time, we have her because she's a hunter, and we want her with us on the road. And we are hunters. That's like our first priority so as soon as she gets that <clears throat> then that's my ideal litter and that's my next dog and i i can't tell you how many days i have just fretted over what in the world am i going to do like i know she's only two <clears throat> and then, like people can think about this and i know you do too it's like where's my next rock star coming from and i was running all these cool dogs and then all of a sudden like i'm just running axel and 
I used to have a trailer full like you. And then all of a sudden you just become a hunter in the, in the waterfowl world. And you only have one or two dogs. Like I just, it was such a culture shock for me to not be handling so many dogs and saying, man, I love this one because they speak a certain language. It's like when you team up with a dog that speaks your language, there's no better high I've ever experienced in the world. Yeah. You, what you just said about, you're always looking for your next one. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's kind of the way Lyle and I are, you know, Lyle's won seven crowns. I've won two. And we're always looking for where's the next one that can do it. Uh, I mean, this past weekend, the SRS we ran, I got fifth and seventh. The dogs that I, the dog I got fifth with is three years old. He's a baby in the grand scheme of things. The dog that got seven is two. That seventh is two. So they're babies. Like, they're not ready to win yet. I know that their owners know that, you know, but this is a building process. And, and what I always tell people when they say, I want an SRS champion, I want a SRS champion, grand champion, master national hall a of lottery fame. Lottery ticket. That's like getting well, a lottery ticket. It, it is. <laughs> but I always tell them you have to begin with the end in mind. So if you know, that's what you want, you can never do anything from point A to Z. That's going to be detrimental to getting to Z to get, getting to that point. Um, so that takes a lot of trust for them to trust me and okay, look, I know you're super excited and you want your dog to do this and you want them to run all these tests, but Hey, we need to back off a little bit. We need to, we need to train more and then we'll run here in two or three months. Um, so it takes a lot of trust in me uh, of them to me to be able to guide those dog career like that. Um, the little dog is two years old. She's way ahead of schedule. You know, she came to me, a year ago um, for the sole purpose of they want to run the grand, they want an SRS champ. Um, I ran her in her first grand that I, I had run her in this past fall and she passed. Um, so she needs one more grand pass for a title. And originally I told them to look, it may be fall before she's ready to run an SRS. Since we've been on this winter trip, she has been on absolute fire and she's done everything I've asked her to do. I said, look, it's time to put her in there and see where we're at. It was her first SRS and she got seventh in a very strong field of dogs. So, you know, that's a, that's a first step. She's going to run one more um, this spring. And then we'll start looking at maybe running some more on the fall, but realistically to make an SRS champion, you're looking at a five to seven year old dog, but you've got to build them correctly and manage their careers and expose them to it a little bit here and there. But you also have to be willing to, okay, the wheels are kind of coming off in this series and we're going backwards and this is detrimental to where we want to be to say, okay, I'm man enough to say, all right, I'm going to let my ego go and I'm going to pick up this dog because it's what's best for the dog. Mm -hmm. Um, So you always got to begin with the end in mind. Like, how are you going to handle this dog's career to you so you can get to the point you want to get to? Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's such a commitment and, it, you literally like plan your life around it. Like I told you, yeah. Axel will be running the grand this year. And I don't know if it fits in our schedule to show up, but I would, I would go and cheer him on and like tailgate and make koozies and t-shirts and like team Axel, you know? And I just love it because we do understand all the work. Not only does that poor dog, like he's not poor, like he absolutely loves his job, but he's training when he's not, working in the field like that dog picks up ducks 
almost every single day all year long and he lives for it and i'm like how in the world is he such a machine he is always he always wakes up ready to go when we're on the road um like on the hunting road he'd just sleep in the bed or on the couch or whatever the place that we were staying at that lodge or bnb whatever he was always with tater and then he's just like up at three o'clock in the morning let's go boys like let's go ready for every yeah. single day and it was so, it's just so much fun to see them love their job yeah and i'll be pulling for him i think carter's gonna be running him um and i'll be pulling for him as well uh, oh thanks carter carter's doing a really good job over there i think he won he's won two srs's this year so well Super. we're big fans of him he was awesome when we were down there with you guys and we got to spend some time with him on water work and yeah, I mean, I could get sucked back into it so easy and just live in Crocs and shorts and a hat <laughs> and I don't mind cleaning kennels. I'll get up at four. I mean, it's, it really is like your day starts before the sun comes up. Yes. Every day. Because every it's the dog care. Like that's the thing is like, you're not just responsible for the training, but the care of these dogs is number one. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing with the hunt test guide is I don't want it to be just for the amateurs. You know, I want to be a, a guidance for the, the new, the new young pro trainer that wants to come into this. I want to help them understand what their job is. Like what you just said, your number one job as a pro trainer, despite what most believe isn't training dogs. It's the care of that animal. Like yeah. you can make Joe blow the nicest dog anybody's ever had in their life. But if he shows up and he doesn't look good and he's healthy, it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. You know, the and dogs happy. must be like healthy it, and happy. It changes their attitude so much mm-hmm. to make sure that they're loved on. And I don't know, like they just have so much personality, even when they're in training. Like it was so hard for me to put them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like we would take walks at sunset. You know, they would be done, fed. I don't know what your schedule is, but at the end of the day, once everybody got ran, like they got fed then, and then they got let out at night. But I loved letting them just out in the field and just taking a walk at sunset. Just yeah, they, they've got to have time to be dogs too. They can't yeah. just work, 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 work. They've got to have time to be a dog. So there's a lot of times when we air, you know, we got 24 dogs to air. It may take us two hours. Right. We just do their thing, like just decompress, be a dog. Um, and one of the biggest things that we hit on, on when you get on the hunt test guide is about the attitude of a dog. If you ever want to know how a dog's treated, all you got to do is watch them. They'll tell you everything you need to know. Okay. Get into that. I love the psychology and there's not enough information out there about the psychology of training the dog or how, how the psychology of the dog works with their training. So give us some of that. So, and what I mean by that is the dog will tell you everything you need to know by just watching them. Dogs actions will tell you everything you know. You can show up at a hunt test and you can watch 15, 20 different pro trainers. And if you pay attention, you can tell whose dogs are doing the job because they want to. And the dogs who are doing the job because they have to, there's a big difference. A dog that wants to do the work is always going to outperform the dog that has to do the work. Yeah, two completely different things. So right. this should be a fun thing for the dog. It is a job, but it should be fun. 
You're just applying rules and regulations to this job. So boundaries. your job, like, yeah, put the boundaries on there and the expectations. So your job as the trainer is to attitudes is the most important thing. You must keep the dog's attitude up. So you're going to challenge them day in, day out on things that are going to be difficult. Okay. And they may receive corrections here, or there, or they may not. But if you've challenged them a lot today and they did get a bunch of corrections for some things, well, maybe tomorrow you need to go do something that's super easy just to keep their mindset correctly. Right. And the other thing that we discuss about corrections when you start using e-collars, you can tell people that have used e-collars for punishment. The e-collar is not a punishment tool. That's not what it's designed to do. It is a correction tool to help teach. That's what it's for. Right. It's not to get mad at the dog and, oh, my God, you did this wrong. I'm going to burn the crap out of it. That's not what it's for. And you know what else I use it for, especially like because my world is so different than yours, where I'm dealing with the average hunter. It's insurance. It's insurance. Mm -hmm. Your dog has to have the foundation. It has to understand it without a collar. The collar just reinforces the fact that it happens quicker. They're not going to try you. They're not going to act like make you ask three or four times. It's going to happen then. <laughs> Especially coming from the pointer world. My God, like you really get tested over there. And um, that's why I tell people that are so hesitant about using one because of the rumors of the negativity that surrounds it. It's, it is the best insurance that you can have to call her. If, if it's taught dog. correctly. Yes. If it's dog is taught correctly and the person that is operating the collar understands how the dog is taught it is one of the most valuable tools you can have when training a dog uh, now that being said one of the things that i always like to hit on when you do start using pressure the thing that i always preach anytime that you give pressure to a dog whether there's two different types of pressure in my opinion there's physical and that's from either a collar or a healing stick and then there's mental you can create mental pressure just by recalling a dog on things. No, here, that's a mental form of pressure. Okay. Right. So in my opinion, the way that you, one of the ways that you keep dogs attitudes up high is anytime that you apply any type of pressure, whether it be physical or mental, and the dog gives you the correct response that you're looking for it to give you, there should be praise involved with it. You should praise that dog for giving you the correct response. If you do that, and the dog becomes accustomed to that, then it's not afraid or worried about the pressure you may give it. Then it's thought is, okay, how do I, what is he wanting me to do? This is obviously not what I wanted, what he wanted. So what do I need to do next for him to be happy with what I did? So if they, if you teach it that way and they always know that, okay, I got a collar correction here and I responded to it this way because that's what I'm supposed to do. When I get back, he's going to love on me. He's going to throw me a happy bumper. Because I, I, I gave them the correct response. Mm -hmm. To me, that's huge in training dogs, and not a lot of people do that. There's so many people that just train the dog, and they give the pressure here, and the dog does the right thing. Okay, good. Go back in the truck. No, well, you got to have a happy bumper. <laughs> so hard on the dog. I mean, yeah. especially dogs that are low-key, not super high drive. You've got to read them, and they're going to tell you everything they're thinking. Like, if you just gave that correction, they gave you the right response, and they're coming back and you kind of see their head down. Pep them up. Good dog. That's what I wanted you to do. Throw them a happy bumper. Love on them for a second. And then go on to the next bar. But let them know that, okay, that's exactly what I wanted. 
Don't just yeah. put them in the trailer and say, okay, I'm going to the next one. Uh, because then like you're not checked really off the list. Up, right. You know? You're just going through the motions of them. You're not doing what that dog needs mentally. And that's what I loved so much about when I was tournament hunting is the relationship. It was such a high to know, like, they are, they are your teammate. They yes. think that they are your teammate and we're in this together and I have to depend on you for this and this. And they know their job. It's their instinct. So you can't stop them from doing it. Like for me, go find the bird. Like for you, it's the same thing, but with different parameters, like just find the bird. And it was so much fun because you can see the joy in them when they know they got it right. Oh yeah. Yeah. 100%. And I mean, especially like big moments, um like winning a crown i mean that's you can tell like from the dogs on the way back with you and you know you want it mm-hmm. you, you can tell that they they sense it in you too you know Isn't that, that crazy that's a sixth sense but there's a celebratory experience that you can literally see in the dog when they know they won yeah. Or it's, even just win a ribbon. It, you know, it doesn't have to be something as huge as the Grand or the SRS or whatever. Just in a simple hunt test. When the dogs know that they did it right, their tail wags a little harder. You know, they're grinning. It's just crazy. It's just crazy to see it. Yeah, it's uh, it's been definitely something that drew me in from the beginning. You know, that feeling of something that you accomplished with an animal. You know, yeah. and it does it does take a team, you know, they're relying upon me to do my job, just like I'm relying upon them to do their job. And it mm-hmm. takes of us to be successful. Um, so I mean, that's a dog that hey, wants that, to please you. It brings an accountability to you as a handler to be your best. Right. Absolutely. You know, and one of the biggest things that that's difficult in this game is when you fail as a handler. And the dog did its job. That's hard to swallow. Uh, yeah. But it happens. I mean, we're human. We make mistakes. But, I mean, it happens. I mean, And that's my the- favorite meme that goes around. And it happens, like, every hunt season when it kicks off, right? It's like, if you miss one more bird, I'm not getting out of the bed. You know, like that <laughs> meme. That, and I just love it because you can see the disappointment on the dog when they know that you screwed up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's like goes back to the deal with Stroker, not one of that crowd. He did his job. I did not do mine. You know, yeah. I failed mine. Um, how do you respond? Exactly. It's all about how do, you, how do you, you know, you go back and, and you think about what you did and what you could do different or how you could prepare yourself or the dog differently and uh, go from there. I mean, everything's a learning process. I learn new things every single day. I mean, I learned new things about myself. I learned new things about the dogs. And a lot of what makes people successful or unsuccessful at the hunt test game is how much they pay attention to their dogs. Like, what do they really know about their dogs? Do they know that this dog turns a certain direction every time you blow the whistle on the bond? Do they know that this dog is naturally an inside-out market? So if he's running under the arc of the bird, you can trust him to bow out there and get the bird. Or vice versa, this one comes outside in. So if he's under the arc, you probably need to start getting ready to be involved because he's not going to be in a good situation. Okay, so breaking that down, because I understand what you're saying, but you're talking about 
whistle sitting, handling, putting the dog in the wind so that it makes sure it catches scent because of the way they don't run a very straight line. They run right. at, okay. yeah. So break that down just a little bit. Our objective as a trainer is to teach them to run straight to a bird. Mm-hmm. So if they see a bird fall, typically when you're throwing a mark in a field, it makes an arc. So we want them going to the bird. All right. So, but dogs are naturally, most of them are going to be one way or the other naturally. They're either going to be an inside out. And what I mean by that is they like to go under the arc and come into the bird from under the arc. Or they're an outside in. I would preferably have an outside in marker. That's what I'd rather have. Right. I try to teach my dogs to do is be an outside in marker. How do you teach but that? It, it's all in the hunt test guide. Oh Next my gosh. <laughs> okay. So what he's uh, talking about is literally just a bow in a line. It's, it's not a big curve. It's just a little yeah. bit of a bow off the perfect line from the handler where the dog starts to the bird. Yes. Yes. But there are some dogs like that. Maybe I didn't start from the beginning. I've got a couple of them right now that they are inside out markers. I mean, that's just what they are. I don't care. They've done it for so long. There's nothing that I can do that's going to change that. Okay. So when you talk about that, okay, because that would be what you would consider a bad habit that you can't break. So how early would you start a dog to prevent that? To prevent it from doing that? Yeah. As soon as as it's handling and knows how to take a cast and properly handle. So you're talking about getting a dog started at the five or six months, normal suggested time. 10 months old or so when I start working on teaching them to be an outside in marker. Right. That's when I start working on it. But they've got the foundation Uh, before that. Right. Right. So these dogs are six, seven years old. And so what happens is with the, with them running, I'm just going to like tell our listeners because you, 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 your basic is still like advanced. (laughs) So the, the inside out means that depending on the way that the wind is blowing, that they could easily miss their mark. So an inside out marker. So if you imagine the guy's throwing a bird here and the bird lands here, yeah, the dog is going to run at the guy that threw the bird and then bow out to the, to the, that's what an inside out marker is. Right. And in marker is a dog that comes from the outside into the bird rather than running at the gunner right or the holding blind yeah um, so when they're six seven years old there's not anything i can do at that point the habit is there i mean we're beating a dead horse for lack of different at six or seven months they've already established that yeah well i mean these are six seven years old i, I can oh seven years old okay get dogs tendency yeah, yeah, yeah. when they're but if you start, as soon as they start learning, they know how to handle, start trying to break that. That's so crazy. I want, I want to see of. that video. Um, but that doesn't mean that the dogs are inside out markers can't be just as successful. But yourself as a handler has to be aware of what they are. Mm-hmm. So how you handle that dog is going to be very different than one that I've trained from a puppy that I know is going to come in a different way than the one that I know is going to be an inside out marker. Mm-hmm. dogs i train from a puppy if they're running at the gun or at the home blind i know they probably don't know where the bird is so i might want to be ready to start handling to where the other dog that's an inside out marker if he's running right at the gun i'm like oh, he's, he's right, gonna right, corner right into it yep because i know that he knows where he's going that's right where he should be to where oh, the dogs that i've trained if they're running at it i'm like uh-oh uh-oh this is not gonna be good um so then now- you start 
themselves and to be all involved. These people that are listening to this, which I recommend too, tell me this. This was mainly like in the pointer world though. When people are new at, let's just talk about like the hunter, the, the, the hunter that's looking for a dog. I say, if you can afford it, go buy a finished dog because yeah. that way it gives you room for error. The dog is going to save you more times than you can shake a stick at. And so like you get to go watch a dog. So this, if, if somebody takes that advice and they go watch a dog work, say, is this dog, the dog for me, then, then now you know what to look for. That's one of the things to look for. Yeah. I mean, we always get, we get a lot of calls from people saying they want a puppy. Uh, and a lot of the times I'll ask them, you know, what do you want? Well, I want a dog that can do this. Well, if you're just wanting a really nice hunting dog, realistically, for, from a financial aspect of it, it can be cheaper for you to just to go buy a finished dog. Now, it may take you six months to a year to find the dog that fits you best, that's already trained, but you can buy a finished dog from anywhere from 7500 up, let's say 7500 to $12,000. Sounds like a whole lot of money. But when you start putting the pen to paper, you're going to buy a really well-bred Labrador. You're going to spend anywhere from 1500 to 2500 just for the puppy. Then you got to give it all its shots and you're in another $500. All right. Now at six months old, you're going to send it off to a trainer. We charge $950 a month plus birds. And we typically shoot at least one bird a week for your dog, live bird. So typically we'll shoot two in a week sometime during that month. So your bird bill is going to be a hundred bucks because we charge for birds. So now you're at a thousand thousand fifty a month to train it it doesn't take long to get to the amount of money you would have paid for a fully trained dog and your puppy still isn't quite to the level that dog would be you could have bought so financially it's smarter if you're looking for just a hunting dog to go buy a finished dog yeah but here's the kicker in that typically if a finished dog is for is for sale there's a reason why it is for sale so that doesn't mean it won't make you an amazing hunting dog. Probably will. But typically, if I have a finished dog that I own that is for sale to the public, to somebody to hunt, it's because it's not going to make an SRS champion or it's not right. quite a dog that's going to be able to make a grand champion. So but that doesn't make, guys, it make an amazing hunting dog. Right. So for the guys that are wanting that house dog, the family dog to go hunting, you know, just a handful of times in the season, they're getting more than they could have ever asked for because yes. of the, the fact that you elevated the genetics of the expectation and they just didn't make the mark. But right. exactly. when you talk about a hunting dog weighed on here and then you talk about the SRS champion, you're talking about a dog that falls closer to the high end than to just a hunting dog. Right. Exactly. I mean, and typically the, the finished dogs we're selling, I mean, they'll run two, 300 yard blind retrieves. They'll do triples and quads. I mean, they understand the gun. I mean, it, it is a very well-rounded dog. And if you put the pen to paper on what it costs to build that dog, you're looking yeah. 15, Twenty thousand dollars it's minimum that's invested in that oh dog. my god and the fun the fun that you have with the finished dog is mm -hmm. just incredible like with i was running um i was actually hunting in, in north dakota with little's mom and she was a rock star like i trusted that dog to bail me out all the time because i had just fell in love with labs she was the lab that actually converted me to labs 
and um I kind of adopted her because she was just left in the kennel but she was beautiful and I'm like she doesn't belong in the kennel like she's just not that dog you know and when you have a kennel full you know you can only you only have room in the house for so many of them right yes so it wasn't her turn but I fell in love with her and I got to spend a lot of time with her and she's the dog that taught me so much and we get to North Dakota and I'll never forget it and we're just you know you hunt public ground you see somebody cutting corn and you see water and some cattails and you're like that's pheasant ground let's pull over and um we get out there and two roosters will pop up bang bang and I'm like oh my gosh I get to handle like I was so excited that they landed in water on the back side of the cattails because I got to handle her to go get those and I can't believe this when I first shipped to North Dakota with that dog I think it took me 20 minutes that morning and I had all three of my birds and I was like, I, I never get to do this again. I can't believe that I got to put her in the water and all that cool stuff. Like that's what made it so special. It wasn't that I had three birds in the bag. It was how I got the three birds in the bag right. because I could have never got that other pheasant if she didn't have those skills and she yep. didn't like, she wanted to work for me and it was just so special. Yeah. And, and there's a sense of pride with it. I mean, I know when I was guiding for a living during the winters, it was, uh, you know, it was cool to be able to have people that had never seen that. And you get this crippled bird out there at 300 yards across this rice field. And they're like, we'll never get that. And you just step out of the blind and you run a 300 yard blind retrieve and four or five <laughs> whistles. And these guys are just like dumbfounded by it. Like, yeah. Oh my, they've never seen anything like it. So, I mean, it, it's a sense of pride in what the animal can do. You know, it, it's like, I'm not going to say it's like having a child because that's a completely different thing, but it, but but it, it kind of is. is. It kind of <laughs> well, is. You you have a, you you're have so a proud of, of what your animal just did. You know, it's like, you know, they did that. And it was the work that you put in with them that got them right. to the point where they could. So, I mean, and it's cool to be, be there in that moment and see people that have never seen it, see it for the first time. Oh, just, I know. My it's, oldest it's so daughter awesome. is jealous. My youngest one, she's right there with them. But I don't know how your son is. But my oldest is always like, she loves those dogs more than she loves us. <laughs> it's not that. It's just I. I just am amazed at how committed they are. Yeah, well, I mean, your career has been incredible. I know we could talk about this all night long. Um. I just appreciate you coming on and I appreciate what you do for the industry and how you've mentored people to continue the legacy. It's really special. Well, thank you for having me on and hopefully I can continue mentoring for a long time. That's kind of what my goal is that building this, this new business was to have something to do when I decide that when the day comes that I wake up and say, I don't want to go out there and do it, which has not happened yet, that I can continue to teach people yeah. Uh, rather than dogs that day so hopefully that day doesn't come very anytime soon but you know at some point that comes around and as a pro trainer when that day rolls around and you don't want to get out of bed and go do it it's time for you to do something different so well after your your season we'll have to do a recap and catch everybody up on how your dogs have done we didn't really get to talk about your rock stars that are on your trailer right now and who to look out for but you guys um Clark Kennington's on Instagram at Clark Kennington. What's the best way to find your hunt test guide? 
That's on Instagram and it's also on Facebook, the Hunt Test Guide. Uh, and do you have a website for it? Yeah, thehunttestguide.com. Uh, you guys can find it on there. Uh, memberships are available. Uh, courses will be coming soon. As soon as this grand's over, we will be filming the courses. Uh, hopefully, we'll be putting two to three up a month that'll be available for you guys. Um, look forward to seeing you on there. Uh, our Zoom call for the members should be in the next week or two with myself. And the one with Lyle will probably be while I'm at the Grand because I will not have time at that point in time yeah. uh, to do a Zoom call. So hopefully you guys will check it out. I'd love to help some of you along your journey with your dogs. And uh, thank you for having me on. Yeah. Okay. Well, tag us on your post. You got to start posting more so we can actually know what's going on. <laughs> I tell you that all the time. I'm like, where are you? Because nobody can keep up with you if you don't tell us what's going on. But I know you're in Texas right now, just getting ready and pounding it out. But um, we're, we're going to cheer you on. We're excited and um, just keep us posted. And everybody, if you have any questions, you can always message me and the outdoors underscore. And thank you for joining us at All American Wing Shooting Podcast. Papa gave daddy and daddy gave to me